0: Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we do reopen your Holy Word to hear it proclaimed, we humbly ask that you will not let any of us hear it today in vain. Instead, Father, we trust the Holy Spirit to accompany to clothe, to carry your preached word to all of our hearts, piercing our consciences, enlarging our affections with great conviction and challenge and comfort and encouragement from the truth of your word today. We pray, Father, for a greater degree sanctification that will be wrought in our hearts by the Spirit of God through the Word of God proclaimed. These things behold before your throne of grace by faith, trusting your answer in fulfillment of what we are crying out to you for even now. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for his blessed sake. Amen. I'll invite you this morning to take God's word and let's turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. As we will be considering this morning what I have entitled very simply a true disciple, a true disciple. John chapter 8, reading only two verses, verses 31 and 32. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so reads the infallible, inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative word of the living, holy God. A recurring theme in the Gospel of John is what we could describe as the problem with fickle faith. We first encounter it in chapter 2, verse 23, where during the Passover feast in Jerusalem, John records how many Jews believed in Jesus when they saw the signs that he was doing. But in verse 24, John sobers us quickly not to assert true conversions from these professions of faith since Jesus himself did not accept what they, these Jews, were professing in him. This is because our Lord as omniscient God read the hearts of all people and could easily ascertain that the claims of these Jews to Jesus were false and not real. He did not commit himself to their alleged commitment to Him. Their faith was fickle. Another example of fickle faith in John's gospel occurs in chapter 6, And verse 66, here we're told that many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him again. The reason for their departure was their strong disapproval over what Jesus had taught. They were enamored over His miracle-working power and wanted more of it to meet their selfish, materialistic ambitions. However, when Jesus set forth... His strong teaching concerning His person, His work, and the only way that they could be accepted by God, which is through faith in God's only Son, these Jews in the synagogue at Capernaum renounced whatever faith they had in Jesus. And by such a renunciation, they showed how incredulous, carnal, and fugacious their faith really was, it was fickle to the extreme. The obvious and searching point in these examples of fickle faith is that not all who profess faith in Jesus Christ are expressing a genuine faith. There are those who may seem sincere at the beginning and all their claims, only to be found out as false in the end. This is why one's pronounced faith in Jesus must be tested over time. It must be challenged with various trials that will put it through the ringer to see if it is real and not fake. Like the stony ground hearers in the parable of the sower who initially heard the gospel with gladness and gave all appearances to believe it in truth, but their faith was fleeting because, as Jesus teaches, in a time of testing, they fell away for good. And to such a transitory, capricious faith, the Apostle John lays great stress as a warning to us all that we need to be sure and certain that we really are what we claim as followers of Jesus Christ. Well, with this in mind, we turn our attention to John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, where we see here another group of Jews who are reported as believing in Jesus. In the face of the overt hostility of the Jewish religious leaders to everything Jesus has claimed and taught, narrated in this 8th chapter of John, John suddenly records here in chapter 8 and verse 30 that many Jews believed in Jesus. But while we read this on the surface, how can we know if their faith is real or false? Well, answering this is what brings us directly into our study of John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. From this passage, we will look at the proof and the experience of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Beginning first then, let's consider the proof. The proof of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Reading verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Here Jesus stands facing these Jews ...who were professing faith in him. But what is his immediate response to their claim of commitment to him? He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. By this single statement, Jesus sets forth one of the chief marks of one of his genuine disciples... It is abiding or remaining in His Word. In other words, to continue in His Word is not a condition of true discipleship. Rather, it is a manifestation of it. It is one of the surest proofs that what one claims as to their faith in Jesus Christ is valid and not bogus. The term translated here, abide, is the key word in this statement. And it comes from a Greek verb that carries the idea of dwelling, lodging, continuing, settling, resting, and enduring. It's a very rich Greek verb. So then to abide in Jesus' word is to settle the whole of our life in his word and to remain there In persevering faith. Only such people as these does Jesus say are truly my disciples. Notice that he doesn't say they will be his disciples. This is not a future tense. He doesn't say they will be his disciples, but that they already are. They already are his disciples. And what's further, is Jesus says that they are truly my disciples. The adjective truly is in the emphatic position. Therefore, what is clearly being highlighted here, what is being underlined here, is the difference between a disciple that is authentic versus one who is not. But we might ask the question, what exactly is a disciple? The reason I believe this is a very important question is because there is a teaching which says you can be a Christian and yet not be a disciple of Jesus Christ. This teaching maintains that there are those who have accepted Jesus as their savior, but whose lives are not committed to following him as Lord. And so to such people, they have an assurance they'll be in heaven even though their lives on earth give no evidence whatsoever that they even belong to Christ. Their hope is resting in a decision they made or a prayer they prayed many years ago, but their lives over time have proven that whatever religious experience they may have had, it bore no fruit as to a life committed in love and obedience to Jesus Christ. Their life does not demonstrate a life abiding in the word of Christ. And yet such people like this, it's amazing, but they really believe they're right with God and going to heaven because they've been told, they've been taught that there is a difference between a Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ. But when we turn to God's word and we examine what Jesus teaches us as to, as to those who truly belong to him, Jesus classifies those who are really his as being what? His disciples. They are his disciples. So here in John eight thirty one, Jesus says that those who abide in his word are truly my disciples. But what does this mean? What does this word disciples mean? Mean? Well, it, it comes from a Greek term that refers primarily to a learner. A learner. That is one who clings to and holds fast to the teaching of another and thereby follows obediently their teacher. That is a disciple. That is a disciple. So then a true Christian is a disciple. Of Jesus Christ. They follow Christ by abiding in His Word. This means that the Word of Christ rules them and governs them and transforms their life where they are not shaped by this sinful world but conform to the truth of God in all things. This is the life of a true Christian. They are truly disciples of Jesus Christ. But such a life is proven, as one example, by what Jesus sets forth here in John 8, 31. It is a life, it is a life that is abiding, continuing, remaining in the word of Christ. It is just such a life we see in Psalm chapter 1. Verses 1 and 2. For God's people are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but their delight, their joy, their exuberance is in the Lord's instruction, which we're told they make their daily meditation. We also see this same life described in Psalm 119 as the person who guards their life by God's Word hiding God's Word in their heart and looking always to the Word of God as a lamp to their feet and a light to their path in this fallen, dark world of sin. This is what abiding in the Word of Christ looks like. Furthermore, it is a life of total submission to all that Jesus teaches. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. To take the yoke of Jesus upon us is to yield ourselves in full submission to the authority of his word. It is to both learn and obey what he teaches. And such an action like this, beloved, listen, such an action like this is not true of only some Christians while other Christians know nothing of this kind of submission to the word of Christ. No. No. This is the life of every true Christian because every true Christian is a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But certainly the greater and more principal doctrine taught here in John 8, 31 is what we know as the perseverance of the saints. The perseverance of the saints since to abide in the Word of Christ is to continue in His Word as a matter of life and living, then what we see here as a larger truth is that those who are genuine disciples of Jesus Christ are those whose faith will endure to the end bearing fruit to the glory of God. This is why A.W. Pink, commenting on this very text, John 8, 31, Pink wrote this, he says, It is not how a man begins, but how he continues and ends. Listen to that. It is not how a man begins, but how he continues and ends. That's what's most important regarding one's profession of faith. There are myriads of people throughout the history of the church who started in what seemed a promising way only to defect and depart from everything they once professed to believe. Such people were the aforementioned stony ground hearers. In the parable of the sower, they turned away from Christ because they were never his true disciples to begin with. The Apostle John speaks of such people in his first epistle. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, Of such people. People, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. What is the Apostle John teaching? He is teaching that dreaded doctrine of apostasy. No, a true Christian will never lose their salvation. Never. None can pluck Christ's sheep out of his hand. But there are those who profess him, who claim him, who say, Lord, Lord. And yet leave him. Because they never really were of him. They went out from us. The scripture says. Why? Because they were never of us. Never. This is why one of the supreme evidences of real saving faith is... That faith continues. It is the faith that endures to the end. This is why, beloved, we cannot, listen to me, we cannot always be looking back at something we said or did 10, 20, 30 years ago and bank the assurance of our faith on that. No. What matters is where you are Today. What matters is if if you are abiding in the word of Christ today. And if you will continue in his word tomorrow. The Christian life is just that. It is a life. It is a life. It is a life lived. When Jonathan Edwards wrote his classic book. A Treatise on Religious Affections in 1746. Among many things in that great work, he unpacked 12 different signs of a true conversion to Christ. But among these 12, the one Edwards devoted the most content to was number 12, which he described as Christian practice. Christian practice. He wrote that this sign of conversion is the sign of signs because it is the evidence and crown of real godliness. He said it is the proper proof for the saving faith and knowledge of Christ that the practice of one's life proves the validity of their faith. This means that They're not just a Sunday-only Christian, but a worldly sinner the rest of the week. Listen to me, my friend. That's not a Christian. That's a hypocrite. That's a hypocrite. No, if someone is truly closed with Christ in a real conversion, then it's not just a part of their life which has been affected, but the whole of their life has been changed. They think and feel and talk and act differently than what they were before Christ saved them. What does 2 Corinthians 5:17 say? Second Corinthians 5:17 says, "If anyone is in Christ, he's what? He's a new creation, A new creation. And how does Paul qualify the evidence of a new creation? He says, the old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now let me qualify something here. For those of you who right now are saying, well, that's it. I'm not even saved. Let me qualify something. This doesn't mean that a true Christian, a true disciple of Christ, will not go through seasons where their faith falters in weakness because of remaining sin in their flesh. In other words, and this just ties in with the expository reading from Psalm 38. A true disciple of Christ will sin. A true disciple of Christ will sin. And, and for a time, they may appear more like the world than they do like Christ. If you think that's not possible, then I encourage you to read 1 Corinthians That was one local church with a lot of problems. Problems so much so that the Apostle Paul rebuked them in chapter 3 as acting like mere men. Mere men. Yes, that is possible. But, now listen closely, but... The difference between a true and false disciple is that a true disciple of Christ will always get up from where they have fallen and turn back to the path on which Jesus is leading in humble repentance by His Word and Spirit. In other words... Despite how many times they stumble and fall, yet a true disciple of Jesus Christ will continue and remain in His Word with their faith enduring to the very end. So, for example, when the Apostle Peter fell away from Christ by denying his Savior and Lord, yet... He did not leave Jesus permanently. He returned to the Lord and was restored and renewed in his faith. But when Judas when Judas Iscariot fell away from Christ by denying the Lord. His fall was fatal. And permanent because his faith in Jesus was false. Judas proved a life not abiding in the word of Christ. Whereas Peter proved a life that was abiding and remaining in the word of Christ. Hence the difference between a disciple who was false and a disciple who is true. So then the proof, the proof of a true disciple of Jesus Christ is exactly what Jesus himself tells us. If you abide in my word, you already are truly my disciples. Remaining in the word of Christ is the proof, the manifestation, true discipleship. But from the proof, let's now consider very briefly the experience of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. The experience. Reading verses 31 and 32 together with our emphasis now on verse 32. If you abide in my word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. To abide in the word of Christ is to know the truth of his word, and by it, the truth, be set free. This is the genuine experience of every true Christian, of every true disciple of Christ, in the first place. A true disciple of Christ will know the truth of His Word. A true disciple of Jesus Christ will know the truth of Christ's Word. Jesus says that His disciples know the truth. They know the truth. The knowledge referred to here is the kind that is experiential. It is experiential. It is not cold, clinical stale intellectualism. It is not the kind of knowledge you gain merely from a book in some kind of academic sense that doesn't affect your life. No, when our Lord says that His disciples shall know the truth, this knowing changes who you are and where you're going. But what is it that a true disciple of Jesus knows. Well, he knows the truth. Well, what is this referring to? Well, keeping this in the immediate context of John's gospel, the truth a true disciple of Jesus knows is the whole doctrinal truth concerning Jesus, his being as the God-man, his mission as Savior, and the call and promises of his saving gospel. Abiding in the Word of Christ, therefore, results in a progressive experiential knowledge of everything revealed about Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God by the Word of truth. In the second place, though, by knowing the truth of Jesus in a saving way, that saving truth results in our freedom from sin, which can only come by Jesus Christ himself. What does Jesus say? But in knowing the truth experientially, we shall be set free by this truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. The truth that will continue to liberate every Christian, is the truth of the gospel. And what the gospel frees us from is the guilt, burden, and dominion of sin as it points us, not once but continually, to Jesus our Lord by whose life, death, and resurrection is the saving power that has set us free forever from sin's fatal bondage. This is the experience of a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But, the question has has to be asked. Is this your experience? Is this your experience? Can you say this morning that you are, in fact... And by experience, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Are you abiding in His Word? Does your life at all points show and prove that the Word of Christ rules you, shapes your thinking, controls your feelings, guides your steps both privately and publicly? Is this where you take up your residence? Where you lodge as your home? Where you are settled, where you are settled in as a way of life and living, abiding in the word of Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is this your life? Is this Your practice. What does your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Listen. What does it say about you? What does it say? What does it really prove? What does it really prove? And I'm not asking what does it prove about you yesterday. Oh no. What does it prove about you today? Today, when a superficial friend of George Whitfield professed to Whitfield that he knew when persons are justified, Whitfield said in a very humble and wise response. It is a lesson I have not yet learned. There are so many stony ground hearers which receive the word with joy that I have determined to suspend my judgment till I know the tree by its fruits. I have determined. To suspend my judgment till I know the tree by its fruits. That's very wise. Very wise. Because I dare say the visible church is full of stony ground hearers. Jesus said, There will be many on the day of judgment who will say, who will profess, Lord, Lord, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. Many. Not few, many. If you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, then the manifestation of that life, the manifestation of that claim, will be a life lived continually in the word of Christ. You will remain, you will abide, you will continue. So ask yourself honestly today, dear Christian, where are you today? Where are you today? Do not be like so many in so many churches who are looking back years ago at something they said or did. And that's where all their hope is. And yet if you were to examine their lives right here and now today, you would have to conclude by the judgment of God's word, they do not know the Lord. They do not. I'm pleading with you. Don't be like one of them. The scripture says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 10, make your calling and election sure. Be certain that you are indeed saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our Holy Father, how sobering and cutting is your word of truth at different times and seasons in our life. And indeed, this morning and this hour, your holy word, Father, has cut us to the quick we thank you for this. We thank you for the holy pain that has come, that has been wrought today in our hearts because of the truth of your word. And Father, we plead with you. Let us not be self-deceived. Let us not be like that stony ground hearer. Nor let us be like the one who is likened to the seed that fell among thorns and the cares and riches of this world choked out the word of God. We plead with you in great earnest today, Holy Father, that in light of what we have seen and heard from your holy word may the Holy Spirit use it in all of our lives today to to work what would be a greater and more certain assurance of faith that we are true disciples of Jesus Christ our Lord and where Father any of us have fallen, where we have stumbled, where we may perhaps be in such a season as has been described, where we look more like the world than like Christ, we plead in earnest for the grace of repentance. And we make that holy resolve by the strength of your grace, Lord, to so repent of any Measure of worldliness that we have dared to embrace as your true people. But, Father, we also pray that for any here today that may be self-deceived, Lord God, have mercy. Have great saving mercy upon them. Visit them, Lord, in your redemptive kindness. Give them that heart of flesh, removing that heart of stone. Cause them to be born again, we pray. In the name and for the honor and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.